big day today. Big day today. As I told you the other day, I am right. taken back back. I don't know if I explained that on the podcast. I may have actually just been on the phone. No, that was definitely on the phone. Okay. So yeah, we're gonna call this the Chronicles of Chronicles of Kyle. So it's like home improvement. You're Tim Allen. It is. So as I mentioned the other day, I I, I did mention I'm taking back back in terms of mowing. Uh, what, what I, don't, I don't think I did mention on here is we're getting some sod put in the backyard today. Uh, it just in the fenced-in portion because it's it's a mess. Um, it's we're, we've been here two years. Uh, grass is never going to grow. Uh, we have a dog who makes that very difficult. Uh, it's not a good soil situation. And, you know, kids two, two going to be two and a half this summer. I want to get them out there in the yard. And what we have is is borderline uninhabitable for a two-year-old. So I'm taking back back. And by me taking it back, meaning I'm having someone install sod for us. But I have a very, very key role in this. And that is keeping it watered, soaked daily, every day for the next two weeks. So this is my personal holy war. Um, I think when I talked to you the other day, I had just come from Home Depot and I was getting my outdoor irrigation system all set up. So as you may know, I I don't know if you've actually, if you've seen my backyard, you've been here, but it's been in the winter. It's like dark. Like, I don't even know. I've only ever seen snow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it's not, it's, it's big. It's not huge, but it's, it's big, but it, it's kind of a weird shape because it kind of comes around the house and you know, whatever. So it's always been difficult, even when I tried growing grass, to keep it watered. So I have to keep this thing a quarter of an inch of water every morning for the next two weeks. And one sprinkler is not going to cut it. So we have two hose adapters. So I went and got splitters for each of them. So boom, instantly, four hose adapters. I went out and bought two of those oscillating sprinklers, you know, the ones that kind of go back and forth that that you would run under as a kid. I got two of those. I already had three of those sprinklers, and I don't usually like them. I only like that. Mo- I only like that sprinkler on the dance floor, but they're necessary because they reach a lot more space. So my my current. So if you, I wish you could have seen me last night because I had a diagram of the yard on paper, and I don't think Dana was as into it as I was. And I was diagramming the coverage area of each of the sprinklers and how they would be positioned and how they may need to be moved halfway through a watering cycle. So I think I figured it out. I got one hose doing the two oscillators. It's more the squared off portion. And then in the kind of uh, like larger uh, awkward portion, I have the sprinkler. And then there's another small area that I have another sprinkler. So... That should get me about 80% coverage, but then I'll still have to go out and do a mid-morning move. So it's going to be early mornings for me. Tommy Greenthumb over here. I'm very excited. This is this is a battle I am I am ready to undertake. Until you have a company come out and you know fix any mistakes that you make. Can't right? man. Like that's the you sod, get one shot you, it here. It is possible. Now it's possible to screw up sod. It I'm is. Gonna, it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking uh, forward to seeing how this plays out for you because you know if it doesn't take if it doesn't doesn't take to the soil it's gonna be bad it's gonna be bad bad very bad and you're gonna be very upset i you're, you're goddamn that's the thing it's it's a one you got one you better shot. make sure that those seams are down too you don't want your kid tripping in between pieces of sod well so you don't walk on it for two weeks i mean the only walking on it uh is you know me going out there to water it for the next two weeks and even that i'm leery of i'm trying to get like one of those uh one of those, like, uh, you know, Cabana, Ocean's Eleven. Isn't it like the Cabana Mission thing? Impossible like the, contraptions the big, where you um, hover. 
Rick the, Moranis. I want to hover over my lawn with yeah a, the clip-on umbrella glass. thing, like the umbrella thing that they put on the side of a deck and then it just hovers over the table. You just need to get that, but you can be the umbrella. Yeah, be I believe me. I've thought about that. Am I probably going to have scale a zip the line fence? coming out of the bedroom or something to get down yeah. to the? Uh, your uh, poor wife. No, but she, look, it, you're right. It has to be one good soaking a day. So you know, I, you get one shot. Basically, I'm amazed that you get one shot. Like. You know, this is this is this is everything. I've been preparing for this. I mean, really, I've I've struggled with with water coverage in that yard, and you know, I really I had to go balls out. I got the double splitters; they're already hooked up. So I got I already had two one hundred foot hoses. I bought another two fifty foot hoses, cheap ones. Let's not get crazy here. So I have I it's all planned out. I think with with four different hose lines, I should be able to get it. Because again, it's not that it's that huge. I'm I'm not trying to make my art sound massive here, but it wraps around the house. So like just the shape of it, if you did one of those circular sprinkles, it's going to take the corner of the house with it on every pass, and you're just wasting water and and you know missing lawn. So it's um, you know to do it efficiently and well, it's it's a geometry problem. I I am I am prepared for. That was you're my saying- one good subject in school. I got A's. That's great. You were saying that it's uh, you only have one shot and, and you have to get appropriate coverage. You don't want to, you know, you're afraid to walk on it for two weeks. And apparently that's how Phillies outfielders felt last night. I don't know if you uh, caught the end of that Phillies-Marlins game, but Kapler sent an outfield shift and uh, it did not work out, to say the least. And uh, they ended up losing on a walk-off single. And where a week ago people were, uh, you know, harassing us on Twitter to start talking about the Phillies, and I often refer them back to uh, to crossed up with Bob and Anthony. Um, here we were watching watching the Phillies lose to the Marlins after you know getting smoked a couple of times by the Braves. They're now two and six in their last eight uh, since they swept the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in a four game series. So we'll get around to the Phillies at some point. It just I I don't know how how to get excited about this. My biggest issue last night was Kingery got hit by a pitch, hit him on the elbow on his uh, his right elbow. And um, that can mess with my fantasy team, which is also upsetting. I have a, a rant about fantasy baseball, but I'll keep that keep that for another day. Yeah, fair. Yeah, this is it's getting difficult because I feel like we're falling into the trap we've fallen into a few times now over the last few years with the Phillies, where they show you this brief whatever of excitement, and you're like, "Cool, I'm going to be able to watch baseball this summer." And it's like, and the season's over. Uh, I don't think that's the you know that's the case here. Like you had a bad outing from Arietta. The other day, that's not going to happen all the time. Velasquez just kind of generally Velasquez sucks. Sucks. So, yeah, yeah, he does. He just, he just sucks. I mean, if you want to, he's, wanna, if he's you get to Ask Bob about Velasquez. That's always fun. I enjoy oh my that. gosh! Yep, yep. It's uh, he got pretty fiery on on crossed up, which went up late. That was my fault. So that one's available for people if you're listening or if you're looking to listen to some Phillies content this morning. But um, so should we get, talk about the real the real game? Yeah, let's get to the um, the series that everybody was ready to look past. I'll give it. I'll give an opening statement here. We're not going to fight about this, are we? No, no. We're gonna. We are gonna be civil. Okay. Uh, I look. We talk about our Slack chat a lot in here, and I don't know if that really resonates with people. Um, but basically, just know it's the the five or six people who contribute to the site, uh, plus Jeff and Mike, who are the investors, uh, kind of kicking around. Um, you know, sports talk twenty four seven, and some of us are takier than others. Some of us are more measured, and you know. Then there's Kevin, who is like the most like like pragmatic person on planet Earth, and 
you know, it always makes for an interesting mix during a Sixers loss because there's one or two who shall not go named who are just absurdly over the top. And then everybody else trying to talk them off the ledge. But I did think, I, I always like to kind of marry what we're talking about with Twitter. And there was a little bit of Twitter consternation the other night and a mild sense of, of panic, uh, which I thought was highly misplaced. While it was definitely a disappointing game, I think any any level of panic about this team right now or thought that they uh, or fear that they are going to lose the series is misplaced. Like, could it happen? Yeah, of course. But I really don't think it's going to. Uh, I don't know where you stand on this. I stand in the same spot that I've, I've been standing in, which is saying that the series is going to go six or seven games. I mean, people on Twitter like to to get behind this team and that's great and like i do too i think there's a lot of there are a lot of positives to look at with this team but like this is why i said in the first round you know they were getting past miami and people in our slack chat people on twitter were saying well you know this boston team's having a a really hard time with milwaukee that means the sixers are going to slaughter them well no that it's not necessarily the truth now i know in in our conversation you've been going back to the six-day layoff which there is something to be said for I just think the defensive effort was poor. And the matchups that Brett Brown ran out, I thought, were questionable at best. J.J. Redick on Jason Tatum is is possibly one of the worst matchups. I mean, I said uh, on the last show, and then I think even leading up to it, that like this Sixers-Boston series is going to be all about wing play. You know, Russ, that I got to say, like, wait, I want to interrupt you, because I got to say, and I, I, don't, I think I was going to text you this the other night then. I, I didn't want to give you the jollies. You're often right about things you say. I don't know how to feel about that. No, seriously. I, I, I thought I had maybe put it in the slack, but when I was watching that game and I was I was looking at JJ and Bellinelli get torched uh, by Tatum on different plays, specifically Bellinelli, it was like two trips down in a row. He was just a revolving door. And I thought back, I was like, you know, Russ talked about the wing play, and that was actually pretty good. And then your Terry Rozier comment, which I sort of dismissed as, ah, Terry Rozier, and watching him heat up like a little like a little pot of popcorn, mm-hmm. um, I gotta say, I I you were spot on, and you said something last series that was also spot on. I don't remember what it was, and I'm not gonna try to, but I think you. Did. I watch. Look, I watch a lot of basketball, and I think I know what I'm looking for. And so, like in football season, I deferred to you and Adam a lot because I don't watch a ton of other NFL games. I don't know the intricacies of you know a, a line shift. But basketball is a sport that I understand. And so when I look at matchups, I'm like, yeah, you know, the the the, the backcourt was going to be an issue. My my biggest problem with them losing this game, you know, for whatever reason, you want to call it the six-day layoff, you want to say it's the fact that they shot 19% for three, you want to say that it's the fact that Boston shot, what, about 50%. I mean, it was, it was, I think, the second time all season that the Sixers shot as low as they did and the first time or second time that Boston shot close to or over 50% from three all season. So like you can say that that disparity in and of itself would lead the Sixers to win on pretty much any given night. If those uh, averages come back to where they should be, but well, it, uh, but the, 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 it the will issue, actually, just the, so you know, the averages, cause I did the math on it. If they both come back to their average, which is around 36, 37% for the regular season, uh, the Sixers would have won the game by five. It would have been a 21-point swing. Yep. Uh, Boston so would that's... have seeded 12 points, and the Sixers would have added nine. And so that's kind of where I come back to, to two troubling things. One, the Celtics didn't have Jalen Brown. And 
I know, like I brought this up in Slack and uh, somebody who will remain nameless, who doesn't like to be told that like the Sixers are not the Golden State Warriors in our Slack chat, had a hard time, you know, understanding that Jalen Brown is a good player. And not only is it that, you know, I said before that he and Tatum combined for 34 points per game in their first round series against uh, Milwaukee. It's not just that Jalen Brown is a scorer, is a, a better scorer than we used to give him credit for, but Jalen Brown is also long, he's athletic, he's fast. And just in terms of a matchup issue, we haven't even gotten to see what that's going to look like. So where Bellinelli and Reddick were getting shredded because their matchups, you know, were taking them behind the woodshed, when Jalen Brown comes back, like that is going to continue to be an issue because now you've got another guy playing on the wing that's, you know, going to be causing some nightmares. Now, the Celtics did something that no other team has done successfully and and something that Donald Trump wants to do. They built a wall and they made the Sixers pay for it. Um, it was it was brilliant defensive scheming by Brad Stevens. Ben Simmons was essentially given all the space in the world to work with, but he was not going to get into the paint. Now, granted, there were times that the Sixers, because they run so much motion on their offense, inevitably there are going to be times that Ben is going to be able to get to the rim, right? And it happened a few times. Um, and it happened a few times in transition. But for the most part, in the half-court sets, Ben was rendered... I don't want to say useless because then people get really upset. But when when Ben is at his best, he's typically in the post. He's looking to pass, right? But a lot of the times, whoever he's matched up against, he's still able to get past and get to the rim and finish at the rim. He had a low finishing percentage at the rim in this game. He took himself out of it. Are you, because, sure? Are you sure about that? Yeah, there there were plenty of opportunities that he had near the rim that, that did not go in. I mean, you can pull the percentage. It might have just been my perception. I'm not looking at the stat. Um, but there, there were times last night or two nights, Jesus, it was two nights ago, um, where he gets himself into the post and, you know, because he's looking to pass and because Brad Stevens had those guys ready for him to not challenge with a fadeaway jump shot, it, it really does kind of render some of, of what makes Ben, Ben, you know, ineffective. And it will in this series, like they will be able to, to change this thing up as long as Bellinelli and Reddick are able to hit threes. Or, it, it, like, even Ilyasova wasn't hitting his shots. Covington has been dreadful. Okay, I mean, right, hold on. You've touched on, like, six different know, yeah, things. Yeah, this is, this is me. Yep. That's your problem. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go back to the three-point shooting thing. Um, I understand that when you... You can't just take the numbers in this case because the Sixers' regular season percentage wasn't playing a good defensive, one of the maybe the best three-point defensive team like the Celtics all season long. On the flip side, you can't, you could apply that same logic to the Celtics. The Sixers are a very good defensive team and create matchup problems. So both teams should either, you know, should expect to have some variance from their, their normal percentage. So I get that it's just a, it's a very easy way of saying, oh, look, you know, you just, you just flip this around. It's like BABIP in baseball. It'll just come back to the mean. Sixers are going to always hit more threes. In theory, there's definitely something to that. The, you know, the Celtics aren't going to shoot as great as they did, and the Sixers won't shoot as poorly as they did, regardless of defense. There were a a a, a memorable handful of fairly wide open Sixers threes from shooters. Uh, Covington had a couple. Uh, he has looked not good lately. He's uh, terrible. I think Bellinelli Dreadful. had one. I mean, there there were several where it was like, okay, that that wasn't even highly contested. And I think I saw Kevin mention yesterday that the Sixers actually shot better from three. Like, Sharich shot okay from three on his contested threes. 
Uh, but the, as a team, they had some open threes that they missed. So they were actually worse on open threes. Um, you know, contested threes have not really been a problem for this team. If they can get their feet set, it, it's it's they're able to hit with a hand in their face. Um, on the other hand, you know, look at the Celtics. Look at Al Horford being able to build his own moat out at the three-point line. And a couple of plays where Marcus Morris was fairly wide open. I get that those are the result of defensive breakdowns for the Sixers. And I think, yes, there's an, there's an element of scheme here. Um, that's the sort of thing over a seven-game series that becomes a chess match. And what gets exposed in game one isn't necessarily going to be exposed in game two. To me, it was it was a combination of a lack of effort and intensity on some of those. Because it wasn't just a missed switch. It was someone just lackadaisically attempting to get out there or not attempting at all. Um, there were a couple plays where the help, uh, the weak side help coming along the baseline was almost non-existent, even from Embiid, uh, almost like a revolving door as, the, as uh, a player was driving. He sort of, you know, you, you take the inside shoulder and just pull it back and let him to the basket without really contesting it. So I just think, and that's what I mean by the six days off. I don't think it was wind or anything like that. I think it, to me, where it manifested itself most was in two spots. On the elevation, they were getting on their jump shots. Their their legs did not look necessarily springy, and you, you could tell when a jump shot looks flat. And two was on defense, because it seemed like when you're playing against yourself, that sort of urgency and intensity is just not there. And the Celtics, having played every other day, coming from a Game 7, they were just out there playing. Whereas the Sixers, it felt like we're trying to you know, get themselves through whatever preparation they had and, you know, walk themselves through whatever they had prepared for. And the Celtics were like, oh, fuck it. Like, we've had 30 hours to prepare. We're just going to go out and play basketball. Um, so, you know, that would be my response to you, to your three-point shooting uh, There's, thing. Okay, so there are two things. One, let me go back and correct something. So I, I said it was probably perception that Ben wasn't finishing at the hoop. Um, was it? In- I know it had to be. Yeah, he was he was six for nine from less than five feet, but I don't know how many of those were layups. That's what I'm still trying to break down. Um, he he only had two shots from five to nine feet. That, those were the farthest attempts he had. Comparatively to like that Miami series, he attempted 14 shots in that. No, sorry, 15 shots in that series from um, anywhere from eight to 24 plus feet out. I think one of those was a heave. So take that out. So 14, 14 between eight and 24 feet. So um, he averaged ben, about three ben has per shown, game as opposed to yeah, two. So, yeah, so like Ben has shown that he's got – I hate when you do that. Um, well, no, I, I, hate, no, no, I, I hate I, I hate when you try and – I'm not – no, no, no. You like I'm to not sully try, Ben Simmons, and then whenever the numbers not come back, to. it's like, that oh. That is not what I'm, not what I'm trying know. to do. I'm just keeping you I'm honest. Trying, I'm trying to uh, to point out the fact that like he has shown a few times that he can hit a, you know, a running, moving, fading, sliding jumper. Um, and, and it helped to keep the Miami defense uh, honest in the last series. He's going to probably have to do it in this series if the three-point shooting doesn't improve. To your point about Horford setting up a mode in the corner, that was another thing he that I... I that I that I At the top, but yeah. He had a couple in the corner. Um, there were a few things that I didn't like about, about that matchup. So Embiid, under no circumstances, should be the guy pursuing Al Horford. That should be Dario every time. There's no reason that Embiid should be getting pulled away from the rim. And that was one of the things that I think Stevens designed well. That, w- that was something that you could tell they tried to do. They wanted Embiid to feel like the matchup was Horford, even though there were times that, you know, Baines technically started at center. Uh, and a lot of times Bain was the guy who was defending Joel. 
But for whatever reason, Joel was getting himself switched off uh, and and ended up pursuing Horford, which you know left the rim wide open for guys like Terry Rozier and and Marcus Smart and such. So if if anything, if there's a, an adjustment that needs to be made, it needs to be that Dario is the guy that's going to go out and pursue Horford because Baines is not a three point shooter. Now I think he had two in the game, which or at least one in the game, which I think he's got three on the season or something like that. So. I'm not worried about Baines. If Aaron Baines is the guy that's going to beat you, then you never had a shot in the series. Like it would, it would be that much of an anomaly. Um, I don't know. You know there, what annoys me about th- him though is when you see him go up the against man the man bun. What's that? The man bun? No, no. The top I'm, knot, I'm, whatever you want to call it. I'm not that low brow rust. Says the, um, says the guy who's getting sod installed. Well, that's not low brow. No, I know it's high brow. Go ahead. You're right. <laughs> um. No, but you know what annoys me about Baines is that he looks like he should suck, and he looks like every time Joel Embiid goes up against them, this is the case this season too, he looks like he should just be getting abused by Embiid, and yet he's actually frustratingly good. That's that's the part that annoys me about him, because he's one of those guys who are like, he looks like a loser, I can't wait to watch Embiid torch him, and you're like, ah, God damn it, he's actually playing pretty well. does that every time they play the Sixers. Also, he, had two, he was two for three from three. Again, all things oh, that got, are not sustainable. Go. I'm looking. So here's my here's my more specific thing for for Ben. Three of his field goals were dunks. He went 0 for 1 on fadeaways, 1 for 1 on bank shots, 0 for 2 on his hook, which was a little the bit bank of a shot was he, accidental, I believe. I yeah. don't think he called um, it. Yeah. Uh, two for four on layups. That's what I was thinking of. And then one for two on jump shots in the game. There we go. There's there's the uh, the more specific. Yeah, I, I don't know. Look, I think your I think your Ben missing not, shots thing is misplaced. I think. I think if you I'm have not a fair it critique. was not his fault. Him missing shots was not his fault. This game was not his fault. That's right. not what I'm trying to say. I'm, right. I'm saying that it felt like he wasn't finishing well at the rim, which is is somewhat misguided. Covington is <laughs> Covington is the <laughs> just reason. Just admit it's wrong. Just say you know uh, it's wrong. Yeah, actually uh, the numbers. Covington really to me is like the guy who has let this team down. I agree. Like that that game. So what do we often talk about with Covington? Right, he's supposed to be the three point shooter, and what else? He's a great defender, right? Mm-hmm. And and the defending thing is somewhat misleading because people typically think that means that he's a great on-ball defender. That's not necessarily what he brings to the table that's so unique. It's the fact that he's a versatile defender. He was, you know, I think Iguodala was always a better on-ball defender than Covington was. But Covington gives you such versatility that he can guard anybody from one to four. The problem is switch that Coving- very easily yeah, in doing so. The, yes. the problem is that Covington has gotten torch defensively and again like this is where the speed the quickness and all of that that you know the Celtics bring to the table is going to make his life a little bit more complicated a little bit more difficult and if he's not able to you know overcome that by hitting shots like I know that people have said it and I don't necessarily agree with it but like at some point if he's not going to hit shots and he's not going to be you know the elite level defender that that he's uh, you know kind of proven himself to be, and that he got a, a big deal, a sixteen million dollar per year deal. Like at some point, you've got to think about like, are these minutes better spent on somebody else? Not saying that that they are. Like, do I want Justin Anderson in there? Not necessarily. But is Justin Anderson going to you know get down and dirty with it a little bit better than I think Covington did in this last game? Yeah, maybe. I mean, but again, like if if the but- first two guys off your bench or first three guys off your bench are TJ McConnell, Justin Anderson, and Amir Johnson, and that's not because you have like a 10 or 12 point lead. That to me 
is is an issue just in general well yeah but you know then as we saw you're gonna have to go defense offense with anderson and bellinelli or something you know because bellinelli could bring the shooting that covington could bring but he's certainly not bringing the defense and vice versa um yeah covington was disappointing he his as a three-point shooter he's frustrating uh you know at best i would say his his middle ground is frustrating because even when he's really good, you're like, okay, well, this isn't sustainable. He's just torch tearing up the nets right now. The down, you just know the inevitable downside is coming. And man, I can't. None of his he either took four or six threes in the game. He didn't hit any six. No, no sorry, yeah, four. He had six six field goal attempts. He made no shots. That was it. Okay, he was zero for six, zero for four from three. Every time he put the ball up, at no point did I actually think it was going in. And that's not good for a guy who is, you know ostensibly your your second best three-point shooter or you know supposed to be your your three-point threat um and I haven't I didn't feel like that he wasn't horrific in the first series but he wasn't great either there was a couple games where he was he was pretty pretty bad from three I he just inspires no confidence right now shooting the three and you're right like if you look at that uh Kevin pointed this out in his rent is is recap yesterday that corner three from I think it was Rogier where uh, he was kind of coming around the baseline and then hooking up the sideline, and Covington just got faked out of his boots. He turned one way, looked the other way, the ball was already overhead his head, and the shot was going in. You know, those are the sorts of things that you, you you just can't have those sorts of breakdown against dangerous players like that. Now, granted, Rogier was again he was like literally lit on fire on the court. Um, he's not always going to hit those, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Covington is is disappointing at at best um they they need a rebound here they they will they'll get it i mean they're not going to shoot as poorly as they did that that is a ridiculously low number that can be the and i don't think they were as defended as well as some people would say at the three-point line i don't think it was like oh my god they can't get a shot off i mean it was good but they, they had enough set reasonable looks from three i i didn't think they were forcing it that much i mean there was boston's one, been a uh, boston's been a top five defensive three-point team they were the very good years. but i don't it to, again to my eye i don't recall it, it seeming like oh god they're forcing these to me that second game against the heat felt like they were really forcing it more than they were yesterday or, or the monday I mean, there was one shot. I don't know if it was a three or a long two, or Bellinelli did his like falling out of bounds thing. And just from the time it went up, you're like, oh god, like this this can't be the shot we're getting every every possession. Um, but they they had some decent looks from three that just weren't going, particularly I mean, from our, Covington. Our two contract killers went a combined five for eighteen between Bellinelli and Ilyasova. That's that's going to change. Like that'll that'll certainly get better in the next game. Oh, I thought they you went meant one, like salary cap killers. I was like contract no, no, no. killers. What are you they doing? Went, no, oh <laughs> no. But Jer- speaking of well, speaking of though, Jared Bayless did get into the game. So good for him. He got in for a minute. That was exciting. You I know saw who didn't someone get a minute, tweet. Kyle? They didn't even pack his headband. <laughs> yeah, you know who didn't get in? Markel Fultz. And this comes back to uh, uh, I I don't know this this whole series. Depending on how it goes, the narrative that's going to lead this team into the off season uh, can either can go one of two ways. I really do hope that they win the series just so that Kel gets back in for Cleveland because Cleveland is absolutely going to be Toronto. If there was any question about it last night, I think kind of summed up. I don't know how much of that game you caught, but LeBron is absolutely in I Toronto. I caught the highlights. Head. I was drawing concentric circles of, of in a diagram in my yard. I missed it. Okay. But yeah, um, LeBron is absolutely going to get through that series. All right, so hold, hold up. That, that, let's that, t- let's but touch I'm saying, on... Like Kel, what I'm saying is, you oh. know, 
that's that's the best shot for Markell to get back in this postseason and like, I don't to get know out of his own. I think he would because Cleveland doesn't play any kind of a, an in-your-face style. Like he would be given free range to roam and probe and kind of do what he did in the last ten games of the regular season. I would not be surprised if Markell doesn't play at all this series, and it sucks because no, me because all that's going to come out of this now is where you know on some like in in a lot of ways I thought it was good that he came back for the last 10 games of the season I thought it was good because it it could theoretically give them another dynamic it could give them another look uh to have to guard against defensively this whole thing is going to play out poorly because every time Jason Tatum goes up and scores double digits is part of like 83 combined points between he and Rozier and um Al Horford they're going to keep panning to Markel and it it sucks because like you want to talk about a way to kill a kid's confidence. I mean, him not getting into the game is one thing, but like the fact that he's now being compared to a guy that, you know, the Sixers not only traded their first round pick, but also traded another lottery pick for now he's not even playing like it sucks. Like it's, it's definitely not a good thing for this kid's psyche. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I know you got to go here. So I'll put a, I, I won't talk about how the, uh, the anti LeBron crowd was suddenly quieted the other night. Cause like, Oh yeah. You know, they would have won this game by 15 if they had LeBron on their team. Uh, that's a story for a different day and something we can get into in the offseason. Um, but I think these sorts of losses show uh, how you could absolutely – you can never have enough firepower, and the Sixers are are far from being a complete – you know, being complete, despite the fact they can make a run for the finals here. But what – and that's what would lead me into this, this last false point. It's that – Yes, it sucks watching him. My wife, when she walks into the room and is like, you know what? Yeah, that Fultz guy, like, even though I don't watch basketball, every time I've seen him just a little bit, he looks like he's lost out there. I know nothing about him other than he looks different because he looks lost. That's not good for your number one pick. That's not a good vibe you want to give off. And it's not good that your coach doesn't have any confidence to you to put you into a game where your team sorely needs points, where shots aren't falling, and ostensibly you're the guy who can score in a number of different ways. Even as a rookie, it will be worth putting you in in case you can get eight points off the bench in like six minutes or something. And he, you know, he they clearly don't have that confidence in him. That's the most disappointing part and the most concerning part because regardless of his struggles or him not playing much this year or whatever, the fact that you can't crack the lineup and I get why TJ McConnell has to play, but why you can't be even as a long shot in a game where you're down 10 to put up a few points, that that's concerning. Obviously when you, um, juxtapose it with Tatum doing what he's doing and looking like a pro, it, it sucks all the more. But what I would say is, if you remember back around draft time, we all talked about how Tatum was the most NBA-ready of these guys. His ceiling may not have been the highest. And this is probably, you know, I, I, I'm not going to compare him to Jaleel Okafor and Michael Carter-Williams because he's definitely better than those guys. But I think if you're if you're drawing an arc of potential careers, he is much closer to his ceiling than a guy like Donovan Mitchell or, you know, certainly a Mark, you know, obviously Markel Fultz, but a number of other guys uh, because he was just more polished. He had an NBA-ready game from day one. So while I think he's surpassing expectations, I don't think it's surprising that he's the most well-rounded of the rookies. And it's probably not fair to necessarily compare him directly with Fultz because the Fultz pick was always about two to three years from now. Now, granted, it's been way worse than you know, you would have hoped for in year one and, and you know, for all the reasons we, we've discussed ad nauseum. But the point is, two years from now, if Fultz can get out of his own head and remembers how to shoot, big ifs, I know, 
he still, you know, has a potential to be a better NBA player long term than Jason Tatum does, as difficult as that may seem to swallow right now. So I'm, I can't pile on the Sixers, and I can't totally get down on this and make this false Tatum comparison because that pick was never about this year. It just so happens that some things broke their way in the conference, and the Sixers are better than everyone thought, and they're kind of a contender this year. You know, so Colangelo went out and got Bellinelli and Ilyasova as really good role players to take advantage of an opportunity in the East. The same way, you know, Adam on our podcast, you know, months ago had mentioned the Eagles might have this opportunity this year. Uh, they have a quarter, uh, a, a franchise quarterback under team control with a low salary. These are the times you take those chances. The Sixers are in a kind of a similar situation with young superstars that aren't killing their cap. So they were able to go out and, you know, take a little chance here. So that's why the Fultz thing sucks because the timeline has actually accelerated ahead of where they thought they would need Fultz for, and that's how you get him sitting on the bench. I agree. We'll be back on uh, Friday with a recap of Game 2, and hopefully we'll be talking about a Sixers victory. Uh, in the meantime, don't I'm forget to soak hit us my up. lawn. Don't forget to uh, hit us up on, next time on Twitter, record. at Crossing Broad, at Joy on Broad. Go on to iTunes, leave a five-star review for the podcast, um, tell us what your thoughts are on this Sixers Celtics series, and um, don't forget to check out the other shows on the Crossing Broadcast or the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with Anthony and Bob. Snow the goalie with me and Anthony. Uh, Crossing Broad FC with me and Phil, and of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin. Guess who was on that uh, most recent episode there, Kyle? Me. How awful is that? Wow. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, wow. I know. I'm I'm everywhere. It's it's uh it's either good or it's bad. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we will talk to everybody again on Friday. Try not to uh to cry. Hopefully everything goes well. <laughs>